Get in your Bible, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I've enjoyed being here. It's been a blessing to me, as always, I'm a real nervous wreck. I mean, tomorrow you get to hear somebody who travels around and does this stuff all the time. I, uh, uh, I'm thankful for people that do that, but I'm just a, a regular old dude. And um, I'm privileged to be here. Uh, I, I love your preacher. I've known him since he's a child. He, he's a good kid. He's a good teenager. He's a super sharp young man. You all are blessed. I know he's just a man, but he, he's a man of God. And uh, you're, you're blessed to have that. I appreciate your hospitality to me. Everybody here has uh, been uh, so kind, and, and, uh, and I really do appreciate that and your patience. Uh, with me in, in all those things. Uh, most of us are uh, familiar with the story of David uh, fighting Goliath in the Valley of Elah. Uh, by the way, before I go on, uh, thank you for being here tonight. I know probably some of you came from work and some of you didn't really even have dinner and you rushed here. Thank you so much for, for doing that for Christ's sake. Uh, like I said, everybody for the most part is familiar with the story of Goliath. Goliath, of course, was nine foot uh, six tall, and at first glance, that of course seems unbelievable, but I believe it because the Bible says it. Uh, it's actually not even hard to believe. A man by the name of Robert Wadlow was eight foot eleven inches uh, when he died in 1940. He was 22 years of age at that time, and he was still growing. Uh, most of us have heard of Goliath, uh, but not as many are familiar with the Bible speaking about other people groups who were giants. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, there is an unnamed group of giants prior to the days of Noah. Uh, in, Gen in Deuteronomy chapter 2, there was a group of giants called the Emims that the Moabites displaced to occupy their land. In Deuteronomy 2, verses 20 and 21, there were groups of giants called the uh, Zamzamims and the Anakims, of course, in the land of Canaan that the Israelites displaced. And I, I believe that there were giants because the Bible declares that they existed. Uh, there are very few details, though. We don't know how big they were other than Goliath. We, we don't really know anything about their people groups. But it's no surprise, in light of the biblical record, there are lots of legends of, of giants, uh, both in Africa and all around the world, and uh, different people groups, and those things add weight to the biblical account. Uh, and these stories of giants, they interest us, uh, but the biggest giants you and I face are not giant men with giant stature. The biggest giants you and I face are inside our own heart and inside our own mind, and they provoke us constantly and battle us all the time. Fact of the matter is, it's highly unlikely that anyone here will walk down in a valley with a sling to face a physical giant like David did that day, but we will all face giants. The giants you and I face a battle in our heart and in our mind day after day, week after week. They torment us as much as Goliath tormented the people of Israel every day when he walked down in that valley for 40 days and issued a challenge to them to choose a man to fight him. 
And if you and I don't face and defeat the giants in our life with the weapons of God, you and I will live in bondage to them all the days of our life. There's a story told uh, about a mother who was preparing pancakes for her two young sons uh, one morning, and the boys, like brothers oftentimes do, they began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Well, the mom saw an opportunity to teach them a moral lesson, so she said, boys, if Jesus were here, I'm sure he would say, let my brother have the first pancake, I can wait. Well, there was a little pause, and the older brother looked at his younger brother, and he said, why don't you be Jesus this morning? (laughs) Do you ever struggle with the giant of selfishness? Everyone who is honest, when they look into their heart, uh, they realize that there is selfishness that is constantly tormenting us and trying to dominate every aspect of our life. Did you know that selfishness is one of the greatest enemies of a happy home? Selfishness is one of the greatest enemies of a healthy relationship of any sort. If you would stand tonight, if you're able to stand in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought is Facing and Defeating the Giant of Selfishness. Facing and Defeating the Giant of Selfishness. Philippians chapter 2, we begin in the Word of God in verse 4, where it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Thank you, might be seated. So we think about this section of the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, through the great Apostle Paul, begins by teaching believers to focus on others rather than themselves. In verse 4 it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Notice the word also in there. Uh, That's in there because it's showing us you and I are not supposed to neglect our own health. We're not supposed to neglect our own walk with God. We're not supposed to neglect our own home or our own financial stability or our own character. He simply tells us just don't think only about yourself. It is very natural for all of us to be focused on our own things. It is supernatural for you and I instead to be focused on the things of others. Listen, it's way easier for each of us to care about our own finances than someone else's. It's easier to care only about our health instead of someone else's. It's easier to care about our pleasure than someone else's. It's easier to care about our own spiritual growth instead of someone else's. It's easier to care about our our own difficulties instead of the difficulties of others. 
The Holy Spirit simply reminds us that your problems and mine, your issues and mine, will always shrink and they will always seem smaller when we are around the problems and issues of other people because when we are around them and think about their things, it helps us not be so self-focused. Every parent and grandparent here understands that every child and every teenager in their own ways are self-focused. I don't think there exists the child who is more concerned about their parents' time and their parents being weary than their own. I mean, listen, I mean, what, what two-year-old says, it's, well, it's one in the morning, I don't want to wake mom. What teenager is more concerned about your problems as a couple and your relationship than they are about their own? That they're self-focused. Now we, we clearly, we understand and acknowledge the selfishness inherent in young people. Uh, we know about it. We, we've raised them. But, you know, we don't always seem to have a good handle on the fact that those selfish children and those selfish teenagers always grow up into selfish adults who are actually really just a little better at hiding their selfishness than the children and teenagers are. See, the Holy Spirit then, after trying to bring the issue to a head, He uses then Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of unselfishness. In verse 5, He begins, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. By the way, if you're a Christian, you can let this happen. With Christ in you, you are capable of doing exactly what he says here. He says, let this happen. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I hope you understand tonight that basically the thoughts of our mind, the things we believe, eventually come out in our behavior. And he wants to shape the thinking of these believers, and the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to think about ourselves in the same way that Jesus thought while he was here. Notice as he begins, he says in verse 6 that Jesus was not stealing anything when he claimed equality with God. He was in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Listen, Jesus of Nazareth was God manifest in the flesh. I mean, any time Jesus let someone bow down to Him and worship Him, He was in effect declaring, I am God Myself. Anyone other than God who allows someone to worship them uh, is sinning. And Jesus never sinned. Listen, when somebody bows down and kisses the ring of the Pope, He ought to instead say, leave my ring alone and stand up. I'm a man just like you. And instead of demanding his rights because he was God manifest in flesh, he instead he chose to become a man with no reputation in a small town of Nazareth. In verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. I mean, they estimate the city of Nazareth in the time of Jesus had about 400 inhabitants. He was the carpenter amongst a small village 
of about 400 people, poor people. Not people who are hiring people to come in and redo their kitchen. He made himself of no reputation. He was the Son of God. And yet that's what he chose to do. And instead of demanding his rights to have others suffer and die for him like the false god Allah does, uh, he was instead obedient to his father even though it meant him dying on a cruel Roman cross in verse 8. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, instead of focusing on his own things, Jesus of Nazareth, even though it cost him dearly, thought on the things of others. Listen, there was not a selfish bone in the body of Jesus of Nazareth. He defeated the giant of selfishness. And though it is not our thought for tonight, uh, his father highly exalted him uh, today because of that attitude. Look at verse 9. Notice how it begins, wherefore. And whenever you see wherefore or therefore in the Bible, you ask what it's there for. It is a linking word, and it links what he's about to say with what he just said. Because of Jesus' attitude about selfishness and humbling himself, verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> and though also it is not our thought tonight, our Father in heaven also highly exalts believers who imitate Jesus in this unselfish attitude. James said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Jesus obviously defeated the giant of selfishness. He was in the same flesh that we're in. And I believe you and I can defeat it too with the help of the Holy Spirit. Selfishness is excessive or exclusive concern with yourself. Selfishness is to concentrate on your own advantage or pleasure without regard for others. Please, please don't hear me when I say this, that your life doesn't matter and your things don't matter and, and what's going on in your life doesn't matter. That, that's not what he's teaching us here. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's teaching us to set aside ourself. To not be so selfish. Which gets us to our thought for tonight. How can I, through Christ, defeat the giant of selfishness so I can have better relationships? Brother Steve asked me to feed... Preach on the family. I, I want to tell you, very few things will destroy any relationship that matters more quickly than selfishness. How can I defeat the giant of selfishness so I can have more healthy relationships? There's not a person here tonight who doesn't want more healthy relationships. There is, because of our Creator's desire that He put in every human heart, there's a desire in every human being to have a healthy relationship with their parents. 
And we've all seen situations where that parent really deserved none of that kind of attention or focus or care. But there's something in the heart of a child that wants a relationship with their parent. There's something in the heart of every parent that wants a relationship with their child. And yet, all over the church and all over our nation and all over the world, there are so many broken and severed husband-wife, parent-child, brother-sister relationships. It's terrible. And at the root of a lot of that is selfishness. How can I defeat the giant of selfishness so I can have more healthy relationships? Please first go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. How can I defeat the giant of selfishness? By the way, you're here in a Monday night revival. I know you care about this. I care about this. By the way, just to be clear... You're listening to a sinner battling his own selfishness, preaching to a bunch of people about their selfishness. Just so you understand where I'm coming from. Here's number one. You must recognize the selfishness in yourself. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you're a genuine Christian, your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. And so what goes on in your heart and in your mind matters. Someone humorously said you might be selfish as If the last time you said I love you and meant it, you were looking in the mirror. Someone said you might be selfish if your most memorable vacation required only one airline ticket. You might be selfish if you genuinely have a difficult time letting someone else have the remote control. That stings me. (laughs) You might be selfish if you... Pick up the last piece of chicken, take a bite out of it, hold it up and say, does anybody want this? You might be selfish if you're on a date and say, enough talk about me, let's talk about what you think of me. (laughs) You might be selfish if you've already come to the conclusion that this sermon applies to someone else here other than you. I hope you're a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus, someone who has been born again, someone who humbled themselves to call upon the Lord with faith in your heart that He would save you if you would believe and call upon Him. And if you've not done that, there's no better time than tonight to call upon Christ to be saved. But you and I, one of the most significant realizations we need to come to is that we have selfishness in our heart that we must battle. No one fixes a problem they do not admit to be a problem. (laughs) 
And the God who bought us with the price of the suffering, shed blood, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, He knows that we need to fix this. Listen, our God has a better idea of what it takes to have a healthy marriage at home than we do. Listen, handling your marriage your way is not going to produce God's result. Let me ask you, are you being selfish in your home? God has a better idea of what we need to do uh, on the day a week He set aside to be holy and hallowed unto Him. Listen, treating Sunday like your day is not going to produce God's results. Are you selfish with your time? God has a better idea of the kind of morality that gives you the sort of future that all of us want and dream about. Handling our own morality selfishly, filling our desires and doing things our way, never produces God's results. I wonder how many marriages have been destroyed and how many homes are unhappy because of selfishness. Excessive, exclusive concern for yourself concentrating on your own advantage, your own pleasure, with little or no regard for others. Let me ask you tonight, do you selfishly distribute the income you have as a family? Do you selfishly choose your weekend plans and vacations? Do you selfishly decide what you watch on TV? Do you selfishly handle gift-giving holidays? Do you selfishly decide which ministries you and your spouse will be involved in? Where does your will and your plan for your body and your life fall in comparison to what the Lord wants? How much selfishness is there? We will never fix this unless we first recognize the selfishness in ourselves. And we must recognize its danger and honestly look for it. Which gets us to our second thing. Please next, turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Defeating the giant of selfishness. I know no one here is like this, but you know, my wife and I used to watch more television together. And then as time's gone on, I'm more inclined to go watch it in one place and she'll watch it in another. And part of it is I cannot stand Project One Runway. <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, I just think it's of the devil. Uh, but, of course, she thinks that about, you know, battle bots or <laughs> NFL football or some of the stuff I want to watch too. But, but listen, if we're not careful... This gets in our homes. We must first recognize it. Here's the second thing. We must call selfishness what it is. It is a sin that separates us from God. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in talking about the last days of the last days, know this also, chapter 3 verse 1, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Notice the first thing. For men shall be lovers of themselves, of their own selves. Number one. The second thing is covetousness. 
which is linked to selfishness. The third thing, boasters and proud, which is also linked to selfishness. And then he lists a bunch of other sins, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Here's another one. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Did you see how much selfishness is a root of the key things in the last days of the last days that caused the last days to be evil? Now some theologians believe the Bible uh, teaches that all sin is a result of selfishness in some way on our part. And and by the way, just so I, I bring it up, uh, every once in a while, I, I like to watch one of them specials on some aspect of the Bible on, on the History Channel. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, most of the time, I watch it just to get mad. Uh, because the people on there, the theologians, theologians they have in there, they don't actually believe the Bible. And that's where they get their consulting. I'm not telling you not to watch them. I'm just telling you, you better watch what you listen when you think they're always knowing what they're talking about. I remember some lady on there one time had a PhD from somewhere, some big university, and she said this. She said, Jesus of Nazareth never claimed to be the Son of God or Messiah. And I like jumped up and said, you liar! And so I would take anything theologians say with a grain of salt, but theologians who believe the Bible say that all sin is a result of selfishness of some sort. Now whether that's true or not, I don't know. But here's what I'm sure of. Every sin I can think of in some way is a result of selfishness. Self-will, doing what I want instead of submission to God, doing what God wants. Self-seeking, thinking only of my needs instead of benevolence, giving what others need. Self-righteousness, focused on the good that I do instead of humility and reverence, which is focused on the goodness and the glory of God. Self-sufficiency, thinking that I have all the answers instead of faith, trusting in God's answers. Listen, in our text, it's very obvious that the things that characterize the last days of the last days, they have selfishness as their root. Men shall be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It ought not to surprise us. Turn back a few pages to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's a future individual coming that the Bible calls the Antichrist or the man of sin. And it is no surprise when we read how he thinks about himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Notice what characterizes him. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or is that is worshipped. And so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Notice how selfishness characterizes the devil's greatest representative. That's not an accident. If you're a more serious student of the Bible, you know from Isaiah chapter 14, the five I wills of Lucifer, 
Where he said, I will exalt my throne above the uh, stars of God. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer, Satan's selfishness and his pride, it characterizes this man of sin. And just like Adam and Eve were motivated to act according to their own desires instead of God's will, our selfishness is the same. Please hear me. We must first recognize the selfishness in us and then we must call it what it is. Our selfishness is sinful. It is not just some harmless little way we believe. It is the root of sin and rebellion against our Creator. Yeah. Let me ask you tonight, are you recognizing and battling the selfishness in your own heart? Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you confessed the sin of selfishness? I'm talking, you, you bowed your head and said, God, you know what? As I think about uh, what just happened, I was being really selfish. Please forgive me. I, I don't think that we confess that sin as much as we ought to. I, I don't think we're looking for selfishness as much as we ought to be looking for it. And I think because we don't recognize it in ourselves and because we don't call it sin like it is, we think it's just sort of a harmless little thing that characterizes everybody versus a sinful thing that characterizes everybody. I, I think we just overlook it and it destroys the things that matter most. If we're going to defeat the giant of selfishness, we must recognize it in ourselves and then recognize it as sinful and something that we need to confess and forsake. How can I defeat through Christ this giant of selfishness that I would have more healthy relationships? And here's lastly tonight, number three, you must stop isolating yourself from people. You know, isolation is one of Satan's best tools to destroy God's children. You know, one of the ways our thinking most easily is corrupted is when we're by ourselves, away from people who share our faith. There's a reason Satan isolated Eve when he tempted her. Isolation fuels selfishness because when we're alone, we no longer need to make the effort either with ourselves or with helping and serving others. Remember on Sunday morning we preach, it is God who set it the solitary in families. It's good to be with people. <laughs> There's a reason. God designed the family. Isolation is dangerous. That, that doesn't mean you have to have a spouse. It, it means God set you in a family. There, there's a reason God told His people not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is because there's something we get simply by not isolating ourselves from the people of God. By forcing ourselves to interact with other people, we are automatically battling the selfishness of our own heart. No, I get it. There's probably some of you here tonight, you, you just, you're not the kind of person, you just say, I'm not a people person, I'd rather be by myself. 
I mean, I mean, I got it. Some people do have that natural disposition. But listen, just because it's a natural disposition, that doesn't make it healthy for you. In fact, one of the terrible effects of uh, all the uh, internet sermons and national ministries and uh, live stream and all that, uh, people have been isolated from the people of God. It's, it's helped them become emotionally unhealthy. I, I get it. I'm not implying that there aren't people who for personal reasons aren't in big danger of being among crowd. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of people who don't value assembly and they end up isolated and they end up a target of Satan. In fact, one of the terrible effects of Facebook and tweeting and all social media is we have very few face-to-face relationships. And you know what happens? We don't battle our selfishness. If you and I were having a face-to-face conversation and I made some remark to you, you wouldn't just walk away. But I could text you and you might not respond. If texting is really talking, if you really talked to them when you texted, how is it that there's no response sometimes? I can text people a question and they don't respond. I mean, think about that. You say, well, that's what everybody does. Okay, what everybody does, that makes it right. Listen, if you text me, if I got it, you will get a K, the letter K back. You know how difficult that is? How much time that takes? K, enter. I know you're busy. And I know them two seconds are going to make all the difference in the world. K, enter. Smiley face, enter. Thumbs up, enter. Praying hands, enter. Do do, do you see how this stuff is just fueling our selfishness? I I mean, people have Twitter accounts and they're just mean to everybody and they purposely aren't named after themselves. Preachers do that. Because hiding in the anonymity of the uh, internet, they feel free to say things they would never say. Say, what's that all about? Selfishness. People isolating themselves. Listen, I don't care if it's common practice. Listen, if email and texting is communication, respond. I, you, you see the same thing. People can't put their phone down. I mean, families travel for miles in their van and nobody says a word to one another. I mean, all the nice vans today, everybody's got their own screen. Can't you see this fueling everyone's selfishness? I know of families, their kids all have their own room and everybody in their own room has their own television. Everybody in their own room has their own gaming system. And you know what they never learn? They never learn to share anything. And then the parents are shocked when their kids have a tough time in marriage. 
Can, can you just see how this fuels everyone's selfishness? I hope you're not doing that stuff. I, you, just like you, I go to the restaurant and I look over and there's a family having dinner and they're not saying a word. They're all on their phones. Say, preacher, you against smartphones? No, I have one and I actually like it. And I struggle with addiction to the game words of friend, words with friends. I'm just being honest with you. I told you from the beginning, you're listening to a sinner who battles his selfishness preaching to a bunch of sinners who I hope battle your selfishness. We wonder why children and teens and young adults are increasingly incapable of normal social interaction. And by the way, while I'm on the subject of isolation, and I don't mean this as harsh as it probably will come out, uh, make sure you don't let your pets fill the role of people. Listen, I I think it's great that you got a dog or a cat that you love and they're a family member. That's fine. But, But I know people who have no people relationships. They only have pet relationships. Can I share the difference in pets and people? If we lock our two dogs in a cage and leave them in there for 12 hours, when we get home, they're happy to see us still. Try that with somebody. (laughs) No, don't try that with somebody. (laughs) You'll be on the news. Listen, I, I, I'm not. My, my, I'm a people person. I'm a, a dog tolerator. My wife is a dog lover and a people tolerator. I, I'm not saying don't have pets and don't love your pets. I'm saying don't shut people out of your life. Because keeping people in your life is one of the ways God gave us to help battle our selfishness. It is never good to be a selfish person. It is not good in the work of Christ. It is not good in our marriage. It is not good as a parent. You know, in fact, a lot of people, they don't even realize how selfish they are until they get married. And then a lot of people, after they get married, they didn't realize how selfish they were until they have kids. And I get it that those things aren't for everybody in God's plan for everyone's life. But I'm just saying that people and not isolating ourselves is one of the ways that God gave us to battle selfishness. It's an old story, and you've probably heard it a hundred times, but it's a perfect story for this. Uh, There were two men sitting in a campsite in the forest when a big grizzly bear stumbled into their campsite. They, of course, looked over at the bear, and the bear looked at them, trying to decide whether they were a meal. And the one man began to tie his shoes. And the other leaned over, and he said, why are you tying your shoes? You don't think you can outrun that grizzly, do you? And he said, no, I just need to outrun you. And we've heard it a hundred times. But it illustrates our selfishness. 
By the way, some of you, you would do that and you would just try to outrun your wife. You, you, know, I, I, you know, maybe you're more presumptive than, than I am, I would hope. Because I like to camp. I like to go in the wilderness. I, I would hope if a bear came in our camp, I would say to my wife, run, and I'd get out my little knife and say, come on, buddy. I, I would hope. Please stop believing that everything in your life and in your home should revolve around you. Sound the man! Good. Well, if you're a man of God, then you should be loving your wife like yourself. Which means it still shouldn't revolve around you. Please stop believing that everything in the church should revolve around you and your ministry. There's a lot of other people in this church. There's a lot of ministries other than the one in which you participate. May God help us to stop isolating ourselves and invest in people so that we would defeat the giant of selfishness. I, I know. Some people are a nuisance. They, they really are. And I'm a people person, and I think that. I, I've told leaders at times in our church who were griping about such and so not doing this or that, and I've often told them, I said, listen, you know what? Not everybody that God sends to the church does He send there to serve. Sometimes He sends people there because we need to serve them. Selfishness. Maybe you haven't yet called on Christ. I would to God that if you're not saved, that tonight would be the night you give your heart to Jesus. You wouldn't regret it. You never defeat the giant of selfishness on your own. You need to humble yourself as a sinner. Call upon the living Savior to forgive and save you, and He will, and He'll help you. Maybe tonight you're a Christian. Maybe you have carelessly handled the sin of selfishness. Maybe you're here and it's been weeks or months since you confessed your selfishness in some situation. Listen, there, there's not a single married person. There's not a single grandparent here. There's not a single uh, parent here. There, there's not anybody here who hasn't had selfishness affect your decisions. Uh, we have three sons. I was talking to someone earlier. They got married within 16 months of each other, and they all started their family almost at the same time. And so we have six grandchildren and the oldest one is not even four yet. They won't be four until uh, May. Do you know, sometimes when they come over, and I'm just being honest with you, I don't feel like getting on the floor and playing. I don't feel like putting one of them on my knee and bouncing around saying, pony boy, pony boy. 
And I watch them throw their toys all around. The day's been long, and, and I, I wish I could say that my heart was always, wow, what a joy to be able to have grandchildren near me. Sometimes I'm like, pick up your toys, kid. And you and I need to get a handle on this. Or we'll displease Christ, and we're going to hurt the people we love most. Amen.